Good morning, everyone. Happy Memorial Day weekend. This is the official momentum shift. It's like the official, unofficial Minnesota start to the summer. Now, we got a little teaser of it this week, and I don't want you to get your hopes up because, you know, we just don't know what the weather will be. But some of you might have taken advantage of the weekend by being outside. A lot of people do that in Minnesota. They think that this is the weekend for the momentum shift, and so I'm going to do it with a picnic. Or some people think I'm going to do it by going to the lake. And some people even think, I know the best way for this momentum shift to happen. I'm going to go to the Memorial Day mattress sale. Then I can get a bed and sleep. Uh, But you are here and you picked the right thing. Because the momentum shift that we need has so much more to do with Jesus and so little to do with the mattress sale. But we'll get to that in a minute. Now, I know that I need a momentum shift because May is this complete drain on my family. Like, we literally ran as track coaches for the community. Then we got to run to piano recitals and practices, and we got to run to choir practices so that we could go to two concerts in the same week, a piano recital and a track concert in the same week. Then our spring sports are ending, and we don't have very many. And then our summer activities are starting, but they happen to be at the same time. And we're just having a little bit of crazy. So we need a momentum shift. But... Maybe you need a momentum shift, too, because maybe your batteries are feeling a little bit drained, either with graduations, high school, college, grad school, uh, the party season has begun or is beginning this weekend. Uh, Maybe you have to get a summer job or a second job. There's a lot of people that are in that realm. Or you just need a job. You need to figure out how to get from the place you're going and the momentum you're going and the direction you're going over into this new direction and this new place. And it's hard to shift momentum once it starts going in one direction. And we can feel drained and we can feel hopeless. And so we start this series on momentum right after we talked about hope as this element that can transform us. And this momentum is really about not just starting and growing and keeping momentum moving. It's really about having hope that is in Jesus, having that fill us to the point it overflows from us and it trickles out into the places we live and the places we work. It flows out from this community that we've grown, that God has moved and planted in us into the cities that we live in and into the, into the world that we go in. And probably the ultimate example of momentum shifts and drains is what's going to happen today. Um, Today, uh, Kurt Busch, he's a a NASCAR turned IndyCar driver. Today, he is going to drive 1,100 miles in 11 hours. Like literally at 12, 12 p.m., he will race the Indy 500. The Indy cars go upwards of 230 miles an hour. You make one move incorrectly, which he did on Monday and crashed into the wall, you're, you're toast. The momentum of those cars is so strong and, and it, it's, the margin of error is so small that some people say he's a little nuts for going from NASCAR, which has more horsepower but drives a little slower. You can kind of muscle around it to go into the finesse of IndyCars. But at 12.12 p.m., he will race in the Indy 500, 500 miles, I know, right? Then he will get in a Cessna jet and drive over 600 miles an hour 
in this little hop from Indianapolis over to Charlotte's Motor Speedway for the longest race in the NASCAR circuit, the Coca-Cola 600, which is at 6.15 p.m. Some people are calling him a little crazy. My question is this. I mean, number one, he's incredibly talented, so to be able to do this is quite a feat in itself. There have only been three other people who've done this. Nobody's won both of them, but he's talented. He's in top physical condition, and mentally, he thinks he can win both. But really, is a 45-minute nap on a jet enough to keep the momentum going? We'll find out today. This momentum isn't just possible. It's necessary. We have so many drains in our life that even though we don't face an Indianapolis 500 back-to-back with the Coca-Cola 600, we face these pulls that pull us away from God and pull our, our spiritual batteries, if you will, towards empty. And Jesus knows this better than anyone else. And so we're going to go to Mark because Mark is the gospel writer that literally just squirts momentum all over his pages. When he gives his account of Jesus, it is so fast-paced and it's so quick and it's so short that you can't, you can't help but see the momentum in it, in it. His favorite words are at once or immediately. And he goes here, immediately. And then he goes here, immediately. And you get the sense of you're being caught up in this momentum that is Jesus' life and will be his death but ultimately is his resurrection. So if you have a Bible, we're going to Mark chapter 1. If you got one from us that's blue, it's uh, page 812. Um, And as we talked as a teaching team and prayed five, six months ago about, about this series that would eventually become Momentum, we, we talked about the, the, the real fact that nobody wants to try and start Momentum in the summer especially here when there's about 12 days of really good weather, maybe 12 weeks of summer, maybe, but nobody wants to try and start something. So why would we talk about momentum in a season where we really want to shift down, where if we're honest, we kind of want to coast in, in life, probably in church. And, and if you follow this series each week, I invite you to that. Every week, if you follow this, you will hear practical conversations and, and honest, authentic challenges to what it means to follow Jesus. Not just for where you're at, but where we're at. But we'll see this momentum is not something that we have to do. It literally is something that we can coast into. Like the draft if you're a biker or a race car driver like the river that could pull you down the stream. This momentum that God does does not require the efforts that we have to put into everything else in our life. So so come, I I am so excited about seeing what this hope that we have in Christ, if we really understand what that momentum is, and if we really let it flow from our lives into all the places that we live, how, how the world could be transformed. There's a, there's a book that I was reading as we were, or that I saw as we were starting to talk about momentum, and it's called um, The Hope Quotient. And so I was looking at it, 
And the way that they frame up some of their conversations about hope is very similar to the way that we framed up some of the conversations or themes about momentum. So I encourage you to check it out. Um, I even took the title for today from their idea. So it's really good. Anyway, Mark chapter 1. Now Mark, or Jesus starts out, when Mark starts the story about Jesus, he skips over his birth, he says that prophets have prepared the way, and he jumps right into Jesus being baptized and being tempted in the wilderness, and then he skips all the way to his cousin and the forerunner prophet of his, John the Baptist, being put in jail. Talk about a momentum shift. The guy who's coming to prepare the way for the Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah, is now put in prison. And that's when Jesus launches into his public ministry. And he immediately calls these first followers, these four fishermen, and then it says that when he goes up to this, the region of Galilee, where Capernaum, the city is, and the Sabbath came, this would be their day of rest, he went into the synagogue, or the religious place, to teach, and they went, wow, Jesus can teach with authority. When he speaks, it makes sense. I understand what these stories are. And then, ironically, there's a, a demon in the synagogue, figure that out, and Jesus casts it out. And this continues through the day. News spread quickly over the region, and he leaves the synagogue. He goes to one of his disciples' homes. It's actually Peter's mother-in-law. Didn't know that Peter was married, maybe. And, and she's sick, so Jesus heals her. And then they have Sabbath together. They eat together. They, they talk together. And then it says, when evening came, after sunset, which for the Jews would be the next day, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. thought I had it rough. You know, maybe you've been in situations. I just want you to imagine that. The whole town gathers at the door. All the sick and all the demon-possessed are at this person's house. It's not even Jesus' house. The closest thing I can think of as I think about this is the ER. Uh, yesterday, I, I had to go to the ER for, to support a friend, somebody from church. And as we enter this trauma room, there is at least 12 medical professionals in that room along with me and the people that I'm supporting. And it's not crazy, but it's packed. And I, I tell this story because the, the person that we were praying for is stable. And there was peace in that room. But part of the reason there was peace in that room was because every one of those medical professionals knew what they were supposed to do. It was, as, as this very, very young ER doc talked to us, it was like this is what God had created him to do. And he was just doing what God had made him to be. He was very efficient. He was quick, but he was not rushed. He was focused, but not frenzied. He didn't have the greatest bedside manner, but most ER docs don't. They don't have time 
to, to sit with you. That's why they have chaplains. Because chaplains can take the time to talk and process. ER people, if they take time to talk and process, people die. There is something about being energized and filled your, your spiritual battery, your, your energy, when you know who you are, who God made you to be, and you can do what God made you to do, how the momentum just flows. But it's still draining. Those people were exhausted, not to mention the people who I was with. It's hard to watch someone be on the brink of life or death. And it happens far more than in the emergency room. It says that the whole town gathered at the door all kinds of diseases, demon possession and sickness, and Jesus heals and he heals and he heals. And we don't know how long it was, but it, it, it's far into sunset and far into the evening. And if you've had, ever had a busy, draining day, you know how much you want to hit the pillow and how much you want to sleep. And yet, Jesus doesn't do that. That's not how he recharges. Now, in another story that we're going to look at later in the series, it says that when a woman was bleeding for a long, long time, she saw Jesus in a crowd, and she went and she reached out to him, and she believed that if she just touched the edge of his clothes, that she would be healed. And she was. And Jesus looked around and said, wait, who, who touched me? Jesus had power go out of him. He knew that he had power go out of him. He could feel that he had power go out of him. And if that's true, then he is drained as a human being. Yes, Jesus is God. But as a human, he knows what it feels like to be energized and what it feels like to be drained. And so he's got to be recharged as well. And we find what he does in Mark, that very next verse, Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, in case you're not sure if it was sunrise or not, it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon Peter and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus gets up very early in the morning while it's still dark, leaves the house, and goes to a private place to pray. That is how Jesus is recharging his spiritual batteries, if you will. That is how his momentum gets recalibrated, shifted over into what God wants him to do. See, I think the truth here is the only way that we can shift into God's momentum is by being in God's presence. The only way we can shift into God's momentum is by being in God's presence. To say it another way might be to say that being in God's presence 
recharges our spiritual batteries with God's power, not our own power. And whenever there's a huge momentum shift in Jesus' ministry, whether it's being tempted in the wilderness after being baptized, whether it's choosing the 12 uh, disciples, whether it's being on a mountain, whether it's in the garden before his crucifixion, he spends large amounts of time with God. There are momentum forces that pull Jesus away from his mission. Not just hurting people. There's spiritual warfare. Jesus is tempted by Satan, and he is pulled or tempted to be pulled in these other ways, in these, with these other forces, to go in a different momentum. And, and in, this, in these verses, I think we see the same forces that can apply to our life, that will pull us in one direction, that cause us to be tempted, honestly, to do a picnic or a mattress sale instead of spending time with Jesus. Why? Well, maybe the only other person besides Jesus who knows this is this, this guy, Kurt Busch, the driver that's going to attempt not one, but two of the world's hardest races in the same day. Why would he do that? Because his racing career is literally in need of a huge shift. He needs to do something or he is not going to make it as a driver, and he knows it. Last Memorial Day weekend, he was with another race car team, He'd, been, he'd already switched three times at this point, and he had to fight for every single one of his positions in the Coca-Cola 600. And finally, three-quarters of the way through, he's on lap 326 of 400 laps. He's in the first position. He's in the pole position, and there's a caution flag so no one can, can pass. Things, things are looking really good for him until the unthinkable happens. Now, he didn't blow a tire, and he didn't crash, but his momentum completely stalls out. I don't know if any of you saw this race, but check out this picture from, um, from the race. That's a tow truck. That's a tow truck pushing him back in because he cannot go another mile by himself. Talk about humiliating. This guy has driven since he was 14 years old. He can feel a car. His dad and his brother are race car drivers. He knows how a car maneuvers. He knows when to pit and when to go. He knows momentum. And when you're being pushed back to the pits, it's humiliating. It tells everyone, like, my batteries are dead. My gas is empty. I have nothing left. Cause of momentum death, literally, dead battery. The alternator wasn't working, there was some wire, and his car, no fault of his own, was, was dead. Some of you, I've had lots of conversations with you. You feel like your batteries are dead. Like you can't recharge fast enough, and you can't recharge long enough, and you just don't know when the next point of drain is going to happen. And if it does, you are scared to death that you are not going to make it to the next one. There is hope 
in this passage for you. No matter what your dreams are, Jesus says, no, I connect with my Father. And when I connect with my Father, these forces, they fall away. And it doesn't matter how strong you are, and it doesn't matter how talented you are. If this guy, who's a very strong, very talented, mentally sharp driver, can have a dead battery, any of us can have a dead battery. I mean, Jesus understood the need to connect with his Father. And I know what most of you are thinking, because I think it too. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, some of you are probably thinking, I don't like mornings. Does it have to be in the morning? It'd be really nice if it could be an afternoon. Maybe a siesta. Maybe we could pull that off. Um, well, I don't really want to leave my house. Do I have to leave my house? I just, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of cold out, even, even in the summer. Um, and praying alone in a private place, like, sounds more like solitary confinement than a worship time with God. But if you're not spending time with God consistently, you can't ever be recharged enough to shift into God's momentum. It's just, it's just a reality. And so, no, I'm not going to guilt you into saying you have to get up early. That's not what this is about. But if your spiritual battery is out, you are going to crash. And there are always, always drains on it. So how do we do this? How do we be recharged by God's presence? You know, as I'm thinking about this passage and praying about what we're going to talk about, I I ended up getting uh, a tweet from a friend. That's a Twitter post, if you don't know. And, And they posted the dating challenges of millennials. I haven't dated any millennials. Uh, so, um, just my wife, but she's, she's not a millennial. And, uh, we'll just stop there. Wow. Stay on track. Notes. Anyway, as I read the post about these modern dating challenges of millennials, um, I, I went, you know, that's true. These, the rules have changed. It's hard. And, and so there's no clear way to date anymore. So I went, hmm. Maybe, though, maybe this is the key. This, maybe this isn't just about a cute way for us to remember what God wants to teach us today. Maybe this actually is true to the text. Maybe it wasn't hard for Jesus to get up early in the morning while it was still dark and go to a private place to play, pray because he loved, loved spending time with his father. Like a little kid who says, play catch with me. Dad, will you come home from work? I just want to be with you. So maybe if we thought about it a little bit more like a date and not like a religious duty, maybe we would see this. See, like in dating world, you have to be intentional. And Jesus was intentional about going off He was intentional about going away from the house because it was filled with people and leaving early because it was the very first thing. He wouldn't forget about it. I don't, he went first things first and he went off 
to a place that was so private that it says in the text that Simon Peter and his companions went to look for him. The word means like they searched carefully. They hunted him down. They pursued relentlessly, and it was, he was hard to find. What I, the dating advice I want to give my daughters is hide your heart so far into God that a man has to search for God in order to find your heart. Jesus, he went and he, he, he carefully pursued God in such an intentional way that people had to hunt him down. Now, the rules have changed for dating, and so people are like, there's so much pressure. I don't know if my date's going to be good enough to post on Instagram or write about on Facebook or send on Twitter. I just don't know. It's really stressful, and, and you can't just do dinner and a movie anymore. You really have to customize this thing, and it's just hard. Wow, that does sound hard. So what about just asking questions? Not, what do you want to do? But what do you like to do? Where do you like to go? Because I'm not here to tell you that you have to do it in the morning. You know, there was a time I just hated mornings. But I'll tell you that, that Jesus is saying in the morning, while it's still dark, that's where he goes. And while it's dark, that's a spiritual clue. The writer is saying that it wasn't easy physically or spiritually. Dark meant darkness, meant spiritual darkness too. So this wasn't like Jesus just went, oh, I just want to spend time with God. No, he had to search. He had to yearn, and he did. And the pull is always to popularity. And so we've got to go to this private place because our momentum is always going to pull us towards something that someone else wants, something that someone else wants for us. I mean, Peter and Simon and his companion, Simon Peter and his companions said, everyone is looking for you. He should have totally, totally been pulled into the popularity. I don't think it's a stretch for us to think that after this, he, Peter could have said, Jesus, you were amazing today. I mean, yesterday. I cannot believe all of the diseases that were healed and the demons that came out and the teaching you gave. Oh my gosh, let's do it again today. We could get t-shirts made up and we, I'm with Jesus and, you know, be healed, got hope, and it would be, oh, yeah. And, and Jesus says, no, no, we're going over here. He doesn't let the pull of popularity drain his battery to lose who God had made him to be so that he could do what God made him to do. So um, I have a friend at North Point Church, and I called them, and we can use this survey that they put up. It's a spiritual pathway survey. Just like this idea of customizing and being intentional about a date based on what you like to do and when you can do it and where you can do it, I want you to go to this survey. It's on, we're going to post it on Facebook. We're going to post it on our Twitter. We're going to put it on our website. And if you're not high-tech or tech, if you're no-tech, talk to Julie. She'll figure out how to get it to you. She's pretty awesome. So you just go to our site. You click this. You go here. And it asks you about you. And Based on that, it says these are ways that you might connect with God. Because if we want to be recharged, we have to spend time with God. All right. Second two are pretty easy. Number two is, is give genuine compliments. 
So yes, that's more towards dating. But, you know, empty flattery people can see through, but a genuine expression of affection or fondness can go a long way. You're telling someone that you care about them. Think about worship. When it says Jesus prayed, what did he do? I think he worshiped God. Because that's what worship is. Expressing worth. Expressing fondness to God. When you're in a place where you're completely drained, you can say, God help me, God help me, God help me. But it may not change you. It may not recharge you. But when you say, God, you're in control. God, you created the universe. And you have the power to conquer disease. You have the power to heal this person. You can bring peace to this room. That's worship. That recharges you. Worship can completely keep us from being pulled into this personal opinion. Well, Jesus, I think we should stay here. Well, Jesus, I think you should go over here. Well, gosh, my problem, God, is so big that, that I'm not sure what to do. And so to get to not be pulled down by personal opinion or personal interest, we have to worship God. We have to put our focus on him, which is way, way, way more than singing. It's, it's way, way more than just coming to church. But do you know the average Christian these days goes to church once every three weeks? God created the world for us to rest and worship. Same word, by the way. Rest and worship. One in every seven days. One in seven. One in seven. Six days on, one to rest. Six days on, one to rest. That's the rhythm that he designed the world to be in. And yes, the momentum is picked up. We have this sonic boom of speed going on. But one in every 21 days is not enough to keep the momentum going spiritually. I invite you to this series every week this week. Just try it for six weeks and see if you're not recharged. See if you don't feel stronger. See if you don't feel lighter. See if you don't feel more focused on what God is doing in your life. God says that when we love him because he is love, 1 John 4 says God is love. So that means that God can only be known through love. So to know God is to love God. Go with me on this. It's a little bit confusing. To know God is to love God. And to love God is to know God. So as I focus on him, I actually not only know him better, I know me better. And our whole momentum can be shifted. The one prayer that Jesus prayed, we can be pretty confident because every Hebrew prayed this prayer once in the morning and once in the evening. It's from Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema. It starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. This is just giving affection to God mentally, physically, spiritually. And And when we gather and remind ourselves to love God in this way, we can be recharged. Uh, I got onto my next point in my head, so I had to catch up with myself. Last one. I don't think this has changed after, I don't know, when, how long have they been tracking dating? Maybe 50 years? 
listen. Listen well. Ask your date about them. Most people like to talk about themselves. So listen. This Shema starts with, Hear, O Israel. Listen up, people. God, this is not just a book. God is not a silent God who does not care about your problems. He cares deeply about you. Deeply. God is love. God first loved us when we didn't deserve it. The, the, the very thing after Jesus says, this is what we have to go do. This is why I've come. This resets my purpose. He goes to a leper, someone who would never have come to the house if they had stayed there. This is why this is critical. We have to listen because God is a God who still speaks. He still reveals himself. He still reveals himself through his text. He reveals himself to kings. He reveals himself to prophets. He reveals himself to people in other religions, by the way. And he reveals himself to you and me. And he says, follow me with words. Now, I desperately, desperately try and get myself quiet. I know it's shocking. To hear God. And sometimes it's really hard. But I'll tell you, more in the last three years, four years, I think, I have come so close to what I call near listening experiences. Like near spoken. Sometimes I will be reading God's word because it's just hard to just sit in and not have any kind of focus. So I take in God's word and I hear it as his speech, his revelation. And there are times where I am reading the text and it doesn't feel like me reading it. It feels like God speaking it. How much time are you spending with God in his speech? Listening for God and to God. Have, if, if you're in a place where you're not dating because you're married, shame on you, first of all. I bet your spouse says, be intentional. I just want you to plan something. And, and I bet you, you had times where you're thinking, I just need a genuine compliment. And there are times, probably most, where you just think, would you just listen to me? So how much more can we give that to God? How much would our relationship with God be transformed and thus our momentum be put in God's momentum, not into this place of trying to do it all myself? And, and when we do that, when we listen, then we hear God's purpose. What does he end with? He says, let us go somewhere else. That is why I've come. Jesus could do what God wanted him to do because he remembered who God made him to be. By spending time with God. And that's the only way we can shift into his momentum. Is to be in his presence. Worship team is going to come back up. And I just want you to think about what it would mean to look forward to spending time with God. What needs to change? I know for me... It, I had to start loving mornings. I had to tell myself that until I believed it. 
God, if you're first, then I give you the first part of my day. And now it's fun, mostly. What is it for you? God, as we respond to you, may we not respond to a duty, but may we respond to love, genuine affection, compassion, that flows, God, from your grace, your riches of your overflowing love, and God, the hope that we have in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we want that to fill and flood our hearts so that we can live into your momentum in a way that's not draining, in a way that's not dreadful, in a way that doesn't make us doubt that you do love us, but instead is a genuine joy and it brings hope to others. God, what needs to change? What needs to shift so that we can be recharged by you? Tell us now. In Jesus' name, amen.